this evening that you would open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we've taken our time as we begin this very important book, this foundational book to the really theology of what we believe in the study of God. And in chapter 1, we learn here the beginning of creation. In chapter 2, the beginning of Mankind, that man was created in the image of God. In chapter 3 that we looked at last week was the beginning of sin. The beginning of sin. So if chapter 3 was the beginning of sin, chapters 4 and 5 is the fruit of sin and the progress of it. If chapter 3 was the root of sin, chapter 4 and 5 is the fruit of sin. And that's what we look at today, the fruit of sin. If you like taking notes, the title of the message tonight is The Consequences of Disobedience. I want you to know something, even from the book of Genesis, chapters 2 and 3, from the very beginning of creation, from the Garden of Eden, there always has been consequences to disobedience. And as we studied chapter 3, we learned that God's word was under attack by the devil. As a serpent came and tested and tempted Eve in order to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he starts to question God's word. That's the very same thing that the enemy is looking to do right now, to question God's word in your mind. So that you would doubt God's word, so you would doubt what God has said. And he came to question God's word to attack now the word of God. So Adam and Eve were tempted and they entered into sin. So they were excommunicated from the garden. Now I want you to know something. Temptation is not a sin. Allowing temptation to control your life becomes a sin. A lot of times people feel condemned because they have been tempted. Being tempted is not a sin. Allowing temptation to control your life becomes the sin. It was G. Campbell Morgan that said this about the book of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is about generations. Genesis chapters 3 and 4, it's about degeneration, where mankind turns their back on the Lord. And then Genesis, from chapters 5 to chapters 50, is the regeneration of mankind, where God pursues man through His love, and through His grace. But even as we look at this book and we concentrate our attention to chapters 4 and 5 this evening, understand that the biblical worldview that we study is because the Bible is not simply our guidebook. We don't just open the Bible and think this is the guidebook that we have. It's not simply that, but it's the revelation to where we find a biblical Christian worldview. That we understand the principles of marriage, the beginning of sin, the beginning of man. So many people do not understand the foundation of their faith, therefore they lack in the area of apologetics. What does that mean? That you know what you believe and why you believe it. That you're able to defend the faith. So many people ask in today's world, how can there really be a loving God with all the death and suffering in this world? Well, Genesis chapters 2, 3, and 4 answer that very question. That death, disease, suffering are all consequences of sin. Remember that today. Suffering, diseases, death are all consequences of sin. And sin is the byproduct of disobedience. Now today we are focusing on this important character that speaks to us so that we know God and understand His will. And we're reminded of God's will and knowing God as we look at the life of Cain. Why? Because Cain wanted to do his own thing. I want you to know tonight, you will always get in trouble, you'll always be frustrated, you'll always be brokenhearted when you're wrestling, wanting to do your own thing. It's not your own thing, it's not your plan, it's not your will, it's God's will. 
And because he wanted to do his own thing, this is the first false religion that you find in the Bible and since the beginning of time. It's important that not only we know God, who God is, but that we know God's will so that we're accountable to God's word. You see that? All of us here are accountable to the word of God. And we're going to look at several things as we go to chapters 4 and 5 of Genesis. But number one, we're going to see the offering that Cain offered. Number two, the offender. And then also, number three, the outcast. That's exactly how he is described in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Genesis. The offering he presented, the offender, and then the outcast. So let's read here, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us as to how we should approach you. We understand that there are consequences for sin and that we are to be held accountable to your word. We pray that today we would not fight, kick against the goats when it comes to our will, but that we would say, Lord, your will, and then have joy in that. That we would have joy serving you in your will, on your terms, your way. So soften our hearts so that we can receive. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Now let's look here at the offering, because we're introduced here to two brothers in Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now what happens here is that you see the commitment of the sacred relationship of marriage. Notice that it says, and it describes now sexual intimacy with this word that says new. He didn't just simply have sex with his wife or sexual relationship. What did it say? That he knew her. It was a special commitment. Now, it's important for us to look at that and understand this, that God intended, yes, sexual relations for personal pleasure between a husband and a wife, but also as a means of procreation. He created one man and one woman, designed sex as a place of a gift to bring one another pleasure, but also for procreation, for intimacy but also to be fruitful and to multiply. That was the intended purpose from God. And notice what happens after life was conceived, because it says she conceived and bore a son Cain, and she called him Cain because she said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Now Cain's name means that, with the Lord's help, I've produced a man. So many commentators believe that here Eve thought that this was the man that would be the first, not only the first man that was born as a baby, but this was a man, notice what happened, that he would be the one that would crush the serpent's head with his heel. That is a prophecy speaking of the Messiah, that he would crush Satan once and for all. So she says, I've acquired, or with the Lord's help, I have now a son. What does this mean? That God is the giver of life. And she says, I've received a son. Just think about this. Cain was the very first baby that was ever born. Why? Because Adam was born as an adult. People ask, well, how old was Adam when he was born? We don't know. <laughs> but he was a grown adult. I just, you can just imagine Adam when he saw Eve that she was pregnant. He said, well, here, there's something wrong, honey. You're starting to gain a little bit of weight here. What's going on? And then he found out that she was pregnant. And then she gave birth in her, their very first son, the very first baby that was born was Cain. And notice she had another child, and notice what she bore again, 
This time his brother was named Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel's name means breath, which is translated in the book of Ecclesiastes as vanity. So their names are so important. When we study names in the Bible, God has a message for us, even in the names. Cain's name reminds us that life comes from God. Why? His name means, with the Lord's help, I have received the Son. Cain's name reminds us that life comes from God. Abel's name tells us that life is very brief. Now, do you see the message there? Life comes from God, but life is very brief, breath, or vanity. And it describes that Abel's now work was that he was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer or a tiller of the land. Now, we see here that they both had work that they were assigned. God intended that we would work, that we would now till the land. And in the last chapter that we read, we knew that it would be hard work, that by the sweat of the brow, Adam would receive his livelihood. It teaches us from both of their occupations that we ought to value work, that work is God-ordained. I want you to know that today. Work is God-ordained. God has ordained that we put our hands to the work, to the plow. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says this, whatever you ha- find your hand to do, do it with all of your might. Wherever it is, whether you're a shepherd or a farmer, whether you're in, in, in a classroom or you're in an auto shop, do it with all of your heart, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Do with all of your hearts. In fact, Paul tells the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says this, Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We must have a good attitude about work, and whatever we do, do it with all of your heart for the glory of God. Now, it's important that we study that, we, we pause there, we understand that, because we have to know as As much as work is important, we must never become more workers than we are worshipers. Would you remember that? You should never become more a worker than you are a worshiper. The moment that you become more a worker than you are a worshiper, then you'll become an idolater. You'll become an idolater because then you begin to focus on the gifts instead of the giver. You forget sometimes after become so passionate about your work that God is the one who gives us the power to work. He is the one who makes you able. And we should always respect that and be grateful of that, that we have the ability to work because God has given us that ability. We should never become more workers than we are worshipers. Now that's going to unfold for us in the next verse here because it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. What did Cain do? He brings an offering as a farmer from the field, and he offers it to the Lord. He presented some of his crops as a gift to God. The fruit of the ground he brought to the Lord. Abel, notice also, he brought of the first born of the flock. It didn't say he brought some of the flock or he found now some of the flock. It said that he brought the firstborn. Now notice the quality of his offering and the character as to how he offers it. Because he brought the firstborn of the flock and of their fat or the very best of that flock. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now circle that. Abel and his offering. Not only his offering, it said that he accepted, he received, he respected Abel and his offering. He received that. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now there's a problem here. Because it says not only did he not respect the offering, he also didn't accept or receive Cain. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now we see here that Abel was looking to please the Lord. Why? Because he brought of the first and he brought of the best. 
That's exactly how we should bring to the Lord from our heart. Bring them of the first and bring them of the best. There's sometimes that we have something at our home and, and we find and, and that, that it is getting old, so we buy a replacement. It's a brand new one. And what do we do? Oh, look at this old couch or this, these old chairs. I think I'll take it to the church now because we don't use it, so the church may use it. And we give the Lord our second best. But no, here, notice what Abel does. He gives God the first, and he gives God the best. And not only does he give him that offering in that way, but notice his heart. Notice the attitude of his heart as he presents it to the Lord because he's seeking to please God. Now, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, speaks of God accepting a burnt offering. And Leviticus 9, 24 says this, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, and the fat of the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. How do we know in what form did God accept the burnt offering? Well, fire came forward, and it burned that offering that Abel had presented before the Lord. Leviticus 17.6, later on it would say this, the burnt of the fat, which is the very best that Abel offered in sacrifice before God is called a sweet smelling aroma to God. Isn't this incredible that you see his heart? What did he bring, the first and the best? Which God sees as a sweet smelling aroma. Now, we see here that there is a problem. Because here in verse 5, it says that he did not respect or receive Cain's offering. And what happened to Cain? He was angry. And not only was he angry, but his countenance fell. Have things ever not gone your way, especially in ministry? And all of a sudden, you're so happy that you're going to serve the Lord, but things don't go your way. And what happens to your countenance? All of a sudden, it changes. You are so joyful, and all of a sudden, your countenance changed. What happened? Are you angry now? What's happening in your heart? So let's look at Cain, because something happened as to why God would not accept that offering. Well, notice... His anger was rooted in pride. And God does not accept not only the worker or the worshiper or the offering that comes in pride. It was rooted in pride. He approached God in self-righteousness. You see, Abel came giving the first and the best from his heart, but Cain came knowing, thinking that look at my offering, how good my offering is. And I want you to notice something, even as we serve the Lord today, that Cain's offering, or Cain, was not rejected because of his offering. Cain was not rejected because of his offering. His offering was rejected because of Cain. Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering. His offering was rejected because of Cain, because of the character of he who would come and offer that offering. Number one, I want to sh show with, share with you four different points in regards to how to approach God in service and in ministry. Number one, God first looks at the person and then he looks at the sacrifice. There are so many times that we come to God and say, look, God, what I'm, I'm offering you. Lord, would you just be impressed with this? And before God looks at what is in your hands to give, he looks at what is in your heart to show. He's looking first at your heart before he looks at your hands. You can be offering him works that are done in your own strength, without an honest heart, without true worship, and God does not accept that. You see, we learn something very important here as we serve the Lord, as we keep our eyes on the Lord, that we ought to always serve the Lord out of devotion from the heart, not out of duty just from the hands. When you start to just serve the Lord with your hands, with how much work you can do, how excellent it can be, you're going to become very frustrated really quick. But when it's an act of worship, God's going to receive it, and then God's going to bless it. And you see that Cain's heart was not right with God. What was wrong in his heart? There was spiritual pride. There was a hypocrisy. You see that he was angry here because he had a bad attitude about how he came to God and God did not receive it. In fact, he was serving God on his own terms. 
Be very careful today as you want to serve the Lord that you're not serving him on your own terms. That you say, you know what, if, if I can serve him this way, then I will. And if I can't serve him this way, then I won't serve him at all. No, be careful that you serve God out of devotion and not out of duty. Because maybe he brought an offering, but he didn't truly bring a sacrifice. Why? Because an offering you can present with your hands, but a sacrifice comes from your heart. And that's exactly why God did not receive it. Because he saw the heart of Cain. That his heart was not in it. It was about performance instead of about obedience. Number two, I want you to know this. We should never serve the Lord from performance. We should serve the Lord from obedience. From obedience. And we know that Abel served God out of obedience, out of trusting God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, speaks of Abel's sacrifice. He had faith in God. He was relying in God. He was trusting in God. Hebrews 11.4 says this about Abel's sacrifice. By faith. That's how it starts. By faith. Can you say it out loud with me? By faith. That's how we want to serve the Lord. By faith. Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This is why we know that Cain offered by works, but Abel offered by what? By faith through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, that he was right because he was trusting in God. He was not trusting in his works. Cain came and he was trusting in what he can offer God, but Abel came and he was trusting in God himself. In fact, it says God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. What does this mean here in only five verses? That one offered it by faith and others offered it by now works. One was trusting in the sacrifice. Others was trusting in the Lord. Now, for us, as we read this story, we have to understand, number three, we're not accepted before God by our works. Cain was confident in his work. But Abel was confident in the Lord. Just because you're serving in ministry doesn't mean you're right with God. God doesn't look at how much you do. He looks at the quality and the character as to how you're doing it. Are you doing it truly to please the Lord? Because even the best of what we can do, notice what the Bible tells us, even the best of what we can do is still inadequate. You can do the best. It's still not good enough to make you right with God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We just recently went through it on Sunday mornings. What does it say? For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now there's two ways that today you can approach God. You can approach Him the way of Cain, or you can approach Him the way of of the cross. You can approach them in your own works, or you can approach them by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it refers to Cain. In fact, it says the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is the way of self. The way of Cain is the way of unbelief. Write this down. Note this tonight, church, because you need to know this. The way of Cain is the way of empty religion that is works-based, that is performance-based, leading to what? To jealousy, leading to persecution, leading to anger, to those that are, that are truly ungodly. And notice what happens here to Cain. The same thing that can happen to us, that we participate in religious activity, but never experience the saving power of Jesus Christ. Abel came and notice his heart. He came and he was trusting in the Lord. He wasn't trusting in how much he was doing and what good his offering was. His heart was truly trusting in the Lord. The Bible talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Paul gives a warning about this. 
There are some that are going to profess godliness, but they're going to deny power. From those people, turn away from them. They're all about their performance. They're all about their works. And notice, God is not pleased in that. God's not pleased in that. We can even bring the costliest offering that we think. Well, look at the costly offering that I bring. But if there is no submission of hearts, it cannot make you as a worshiper right before God. You would say, well, look at the costly offering. But if your heart is not submitted, God will not be pleased. You see, God is not concerned about what you have in your hand before He's concerned about what you have in your heart. He's not concerned about the artistic beauty of how you can perform things. He's concerned about the attitude of your heart. You see, Cain, it is so important that we even study this because so many times we can get so easily caught up in the things that we do instead of spending time with the Lord. We want things oftentimes to be so perfect that we forget, is it even pleasing to God? What did Abel say? I want this to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. What does it mean? It's pleasing to God. It's pleasing. It's God receives it. Did you know that works without worship? You know what that is? Works without worship. You know what that looks like? Dead service. Dead service. You can, you can think that you're doing a lot for God, but he is not even truly honored or pleased in any of it. Cain had a good gift, but he had a bad heart. <laughs> Notice that. He had a good gift, but he had a bad heart. The issue here was the issue of the heart. So easily we can be going through the motions because we're judging worship by outward appearances. Now, write this verse down because it speaks to this, Isaiah 29.13. Isaiah 29.13, this is what the Lord is telling the people, the nation of Israel. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me. You can profess it with your mouth and your lips, but is your heart truly devoted to the Lord? And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. And notice, they're, in, they're now entangled by commandments of men. They fear man more than they truly fear God. They fear man more than they truly fear God. What does God desire? Does God desire sacrifice? No, God desires obedience. Obedience. Do you remember when Saul, the king, what did he do? He was impatient. He was impulsive. He was immature. And what happened to him? They, Samuel, the prophet, told him to wait before he made that sacrifice. And he became so impatient, impulsive, and immature. What happened to him? That he said, the Lord, what did you do, Samuel? The Lord has torn the kingdom out of you, and he gave it to someone else. A man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, what does he say? Has the Lord had great delight? in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You think God is pleased with great offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Some of us today, we need to know that. To obey is better than to sacrifice. What does God want? He wants a devoted heart. The psalmist knew this as well. Would you look at Psalms 40, verse 6. Put a marker there in your Bible in Genesis chapter 4, Psalms 40, verse 6. And it would say this, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Where should the ministry begin? The ministry should always begin in our hearts. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. My ears you have opened. Burn offerings, sin offerings, you do not require. This is awesome. So many times we think this is what God requires. Well, God doesn't require a sin or a burnt offering. Then I said, behold, I came in, in the scroll of the book, it was written of me. I delight. This is what God wants, an attitude that delights to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. What is it? I delight to do your will. When you are more concerned with works instead of worship, you will quickly burn out. You'll quickly burn out because your heart's not devoted to the Lord. 
In fact, the Lord told that through the prophet Micah to the nation of Israel, the very same thing. What is it that God requires? And what does the Lord require from you? Does God require sacrifices and offerings more than he requires a humble heart? In fact, he says this, what does the Lord require of you today? That you would do justly, that you would love mercy. And here's the last one. This is the one that we have a hard time with, that you would walk humbly with your God. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the way that we need to approach the Lord. The way of the cross, not the way of Cain. And what does it say in verse 5? That he was upset. He was angry. He was angry because he trusted in his offering instead of trusting in the Lord. And notice in verse 6 that the Lord confronted him. Notice, God is so faithful when he confronts us. He always gives us an opportunity to repent in our hearts and to be covered by his grace and mercy. And notice what happens in verse 6, because it says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Maybe today God is asking you, hey, why are you angry? <laughs> why are you upset? In fact, he's given you an opportunity so that your joy would be restored right now. Why are you angry, he says. And why has your countenance fallen? <laughs> Why has your countenance so there, there are times that you have people serving in one area of ministry and they're so happy. They're, they're joyful as can be. But you tell them, hey, you know what? I need you to serve in this area now. And notice what their countenance changes. All of a sudden, the servant's heart went out the door and window. <laughs> what happened to you? You look different. You looked happy just five minutes ago. <laughs> well, Cain noticed his countenance changed. It fell. Why? Because his heart was not consistent. He lacked integrity of heart. It was an issue of the heart, and God is asking him, why are you angry? Why does your countenance look different? What's, what's wrong with you? In fact, he gives him a warning in verse 6 and in verse 7. If you do well, notice the warning. Will you not be accepted if you repent? If you soften your heart and come to me the right way. If you trust me instead of trusting your works. Then you will be accepted. Notice what he says, if you do what is right. And if you do not do well, and, but if you choose to do what is wrong, notice what it says, sin lies at the door. God knew that Cain had a problem in his heart. And he's saying, sin is right outside your door right now, Cain. Cain, right now, sin is right now outside the door of your heart. It's tempting you like a lion that is coming and ready to attack and overtake you. This is what he describes here because he says here, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain, notice there is something happening in your heart right now. Sin is crouching at the door. What's happening with sin is crouching at the door of your heart right now, tempting you, wanting you to flesh out, to become angry, to become resentful, to become hard at heart, and it's crouching at the door, what should you do? Close the door. <laughs> Don't leave the door open for the enemy to come in. As we've said it before, whenever Satan knocks at the door of your heart, have Jesus open the door. So that you don't allow the enemy to come into your heart. In fact, he's saying here in verse 7, the Lord has given him a warning it is eager to control you. Notice verse 7. What does he say? It, its desire is for you. Sin wants to control you right now, Cain. I want you to know, don't open the door. But what does he tell him? But you should subdue it and you should master it. You should rule over that desire. Rule over the desire that sin wants, that the flesh wants, that temptation is coming against you. What does he say? Rule over it. Don't allow it to have power over you. You see, God was warning Cain of this destructive power of sin. Sin is lying at the door right now. And he's saying, I'm warning you. Cain could have resisted sin and find the blessing in the offerings that he was bringing to the Lord if he did not allow sin to devour him. But instead of resisting sin, you know what he did? He resisted the warning. <laughs> Be careful that instead of resisting the warning, and instead of resisting sin, you're actually resisting the warning that God has given you. 
Maybe right now God has given you a warning. Well, you know what Cain did? He, he remained stubborn. <laughs> he remained stiff-necked. He was refusing God's help. Well, you know what we should do? We should, we should allow God to master us before sin masters us. We should allow God to take the place of our heart because without God as our master, you know what happens? We will be slaves to sin. God has to master your will, your heart, your mind. The only way that that happens is you come to God with humility and say, Lord, I surrender. It's not my own way. That's what Cain wanted. He was the man of my own way. And you know what happened in his heart? There was anger, and that anger produced jealousy. His countenance fell. He had no peace. He was very resentful, and God cannot use you that way. I want you to know that today. If you're angry, God can't use you. If you're resentful, God cannot use you that way. This is why we should never separate our relationship with God from our relationship with one another. If you have a relationship that you truly love God, then you know how it should result in love for one another, that you should not be angry or jealous or competitive of one another. And notice, that's what he became, jealous and competitive of his brother. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, it would say this, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. <laughs> we should love one another. And then notice the example that it gives after that, 1 John 3, verse 12 now, not as Cain. <laughs> Don't say you love one another, but you're behaving like Cain. Carnal, fleshy, not a Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. And what did he become? He became jealous. He became insecure of himself, so he took it out on his brother. What did we learn through Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, if you have something against your brother and you have an offering, leave that gift of the altar, go back, make things right with your brother, and then come and offer that gift the right way. It's better that you interrupt your worship and get right with your brother than you pollute that sacrifice because we have a bad spirit within our hearts. Stop what you're doing. Pause. Make things right. And then come and offer that offering. Don't pollute the sacrifice with a bad spirit. Now notice here the offender, verse 8. That was the offering. Now from verse 8 to 15, the offender, it says, Now Cain talked with Abel. He refused to listen to the warning. And notice what he, he does because he rises up and kills his brother. But not only does he do this, he planned it. He premeditated this. We have to be very careful that if we have feelings towards people, especially those that we're serving, that we don't premeditate anything against anyone because God knows it all. He knows our hearts. And we're not going to get away with it. He premeditated to come against him, to be crafty, and to kill his brother. Why? Because of the anger that was happening in his heart. And what does he do? He talks to his brother in verse 8. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against him, Abel, his brother, and killed him. What does it mean here? That anger was growing in his heart. He invites his brother out to the field. Cain attacks his brother Abel, and he kills him. What did he do? He clearly ignored the way of escape. The Bible tells us that God is so faithful that he always makes a way of escape. That if you're being tempted, that if sin is lying at the door, God always makes a way of escape. He gives you enough grace and strength so that you don't enter temptation. Cain ignored the way of escape. And the Lord confronted him again. Notice verse 9, it says this, And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Notice the question. That the Lord knew, God knew where what had happened to Abel. This was the first murder, first degree murder here. Literally. And the Lord knew, but he gives them an opportunity to confess it. Right now, God has given us all an opportunity to confess our sin. Whether or not we choose to do that is up to us. We can walk away tonight one of two ways. The way of the cross or the way of Cain. The way of the cross, you come and confess, say, no, I do not want that in my heart. The way of Cain, you will leave self-willed every single time. 
Now notice what happens here. It says, where is your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> what an attitude, right? Sometimes we think at Cain, we say, you know what? Cain, you had a bad attitude. Sometimes that's us. The Lord says, where, where is he? What happened? Well, I don't know. How would I know? <laughs> you know what he was? He was a liar. He was lying. Not only was he a liar, but you also see he was a murderer. He was a liar and he was a murderer. Because it says, am I my brother's keeper? He, he, he responds with attitude. He responds with sarcasm. You know what he's doing? He's trying to hide his sin, but his sin was ruling over him. You know what happens when you try to hide your sin? You know what it really is doing? Every time you try to hide your sin, you know what it's, it's indicative of? It's revelatory of? That your sin has already mastered you. That your sin has already mastered you. And, and Cain, this is what happened. Notice what it says. And he said, what have you done? Verse 10, the voice of your brother's blood cries out from me from the ground. What have you done, Cain? If it's your, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. You know what it cries out? It cries out judgment. It cries out, you murdered him. So what happens here in verse 11? So now you are cursed from the earth. You are cursed from the earth, it says, which has opened its mouth or swallowed to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Later in Numbers, we learn that the blood of an unpunished murderer defiled the land. And here, the land was defiled for Cain wherever he went. Why? Because the sin of the murder that he had committed against his brother. You know how interesting this is? That when you come against someone, and the Bible says, Jesus said, that, that murder begins in the heart. When you come against someone and you're angry at someone, notice, God will not bless the ground that you're standing on to do ministry. Very important. God will not bless the ground that you're standing of to try to do ministry when there's something wrong in your heart. Notice what happens here, and it continues. It says, you're not going to have crops. When you till the ground, you're going to work hard, and you're going to toil, you're going to sweat, and it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive, a stranger, a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. You're going to work hard, and you're going to have no fruit. You're going to be homeless. You're going to be a wanderer. That's what a fugitive is. You will have no resting place. Now you see here the character and the nature of God, that he is so faithful, that because he's so loving, he's so just, and he will not let us get away with sin. He will not. We must run to him and confess our sin. Because you see here that although Abel had been murdered, notice what happens, vengeance belongs to the Lord. People can come against you and say something, but notice what's going to happen. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You will not get away with sin. Write this verse down, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you cover it, you will not prosper. You won't succeed. You will not see any fruit. You will withhold the blessing in your life, but if you come and confess it, you will have mercy. What happened here? Falsehood. Number one, he lied. Number two, leads to futility or emptiness, no fruit. And then finally, number three, fear. Falsehood, he lied. Futility, no fruit. And then fear. Let's look at the fear in verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, as, as he received his punishment, notice what he says. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh Lord, I can't bear, I can't handle this. What does he do? He starts complaining. You know what's interesting about this? That Cain, he didn't feel bad about his sin, but he did feel bad about his punishment. How many times do we become angry because someone caught us in our sin instead of the fact that we were sinning? And we get so upset with people, well, I can't believe that you said that I have to do this because I got caught doing something that was unethical or wrong. And we get more upset at the person than we do at ourselves because we're in that situation. <laughs> you know what that is? Is a self-righteous pride in our hearts. You know what we, what we have to do? We have to confess, not complain. Don't complain, confess. Don't complain, confess. 
And it's not true repentance if you got caught. You know what confession looks like? When you go and you share it to the Lord. When you confess your trespasses to one another. We ought to be never the people that get more upset that we got caught in our sin than the fact that there was sin in our lives. You see, one of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity himself instead of causing him to turn to God. And notice as it continues, because it says, Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. You're driving me away from your presence. You're making me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me is going to kill me. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, notice God's mercy and protection over his life. What does he say? Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord said, I'm going to protect you. Whoever now kills you, I will seven times over have vengeance over that person. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. What is that mark? We don't know. But we do know that God's protection still was on that outcast. We saw the offering. We saw the offender. Let's look at the outcast from verses 16 and on. It says, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the dangerous part. That is the dangerous part right there. That he still didn't confess. What did he go? He leaves the presence of God. He's wandering outside of God's presence. Wandering outside meaningless, a wasted life outside of the will of God. Anytime you go outside of God's presence, be careful because you're wandering outside of God's will. And notice in verse 16, and he dwelt in the land of Nod, the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now it said that Cain had a wife. Who was his wife? There's very limited women during that time. So we can rightly assume that his wife was one of his sisters. And it said that he had a wife, and it was at that time wasn't deemed as incest because they were the only people on earth. It was still a purebred of people, of mankind that God had created. And then later on, he says, in Scripture, that man should not take a wife from his own family. So what happens here, it says that he had a son and he named him Enoch. Now, Enoch means initiation or consecrated, dedicated one. But notice what Cain does. He built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Instead of calling the name of the city after the name of God, he calls the name of the city after his son's name. It was man-centered. It was self-centered. It wasn't God-centered. And then you see a... Uh, increase of population. Verse 18. To Enoch was born Irid. And Irid begot Mehujael. And Mehujael begot Methushael. And Methushael begot Lamech. If you ever need baby names, do not go here. These are difficult. Now notice what happens here in verse 19. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. Here Lamech, whose name now means powerful or wild one. That's what he was. Wild is that he was the first one that went against God's original plan. And he went against God's original plan because he took for himself two wives. God had said it, one man and one woman, he took to himself two wives. It says in verse 19, two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, second, was Zilah. Notice he does this outside of God's will, outside of God's presence. These are the consequences of disobedience. A family that is rebelling against the Lord. And he continues, and it says, And Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. In verse 20, we see here, this man, Jubel, or Jabel, he was the one that invented tents. The first mention of tents in the Bible or dwelling places. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubel, and he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. He invented the harp. And the flute, here we have the first mention of instruments in the Bible. And for Zula, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and of iron. Notice, before the flood, there was iron that it was already invented or created. This is very unique, very interesting to see this. Notice what happens here. And Lamech said to his 
wives. Now notice the arrogance of this very intellectual family, the capacity that they had was very arrogant and self-seeking. They were all about the outward appearance. Very carnal that happened here. Lamech, verse 23, said to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, he says, listen to my speech. I've killed a man. <laughs> Look how he brags about it. This man that comes from the generation of Cain, who also demonstrated carnality and violence, also now is bragging about it. I've killed a man for wounding me. It said that he was in an altercation and he killed someone. Even a young man for hurting me. Notice he killed another one. <laughs> if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, now notice what he claims. If God protect Cain sevenfold times against anyone that would come against him, surely then Lamech seventyfold. He claims the protection of God without calling on the name of God. That's, that's a problem. <laughs> You can't claim the protection of God if you're not also calling on the name of God. And he had an anger problem. Now notice from verse 25 and 26, as we continue, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore him a son and named him Seth. It's so important here, because we have a genealogy here of Adam to Seth, for God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. It was Seth. And as for Seth, verse 26, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then man began to call on the name of the Lord. Underline that. What happens? Man begins to call on the name of the Lord. That's where we end tonight. Where we realize our need for God's mercy from an, un, an ungodly generation. In an ungodly generation today. What are we to do? Call on the name of of the Lord and say, Lord, you are my sanctuary. I will run to you and I won't grow weary. <laughs> I trust in the finished work of the cross, not of the work of my own hands. Amen. Let's stand together and pray.